Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial first place Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. We're recording in the evening of May the 20th, 2012. I am your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat, and along for the ride with me, as always, my podcasting partner in crime. He's Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? Good. How are you? I uh, I don't know how I'm doing because I can't make up my mind about what I think about the Orioles and that's what we wanted to talk about first so that's appropriate enough because Andrew and I Orioles this week yeah it's it's just a really strange thing going on with me because on this very podcast the last episode we were talking about the quote unquote gauntlet and the 15 games and i think i said if the orioles went 6 and 9 they would i would be feeling pretty good but then they went 9 and 6 and i'm still sitting here like i just can't i can't summon up the just the un, unchecked joy yet about the orioles because i just feel like sooner or later something has to go some more level of wrong than it's currently going it's very very strange i think i've just been traumatized by all the years of losing. It's like I expect the Orioles to lose, so I'm more focused on seeing the flaws rather than seeing the things that are going well. And it's really, it's not pleasant, and I'm trying to shake it, but I can't yet. Well, you know, it, uh, it, what do I want to say here? Going into the season, we knew a lot of things about the Orioles, and there were a lot of things we didn't know. And, uh, you know, we keep trying to say it's not early anymore, but it is. It's very early. It, it hasn't even been two full months yet. Right. So. Today was the 42nd game played, and it's great that the Orioles have 27 wins already, but there's a lot of baseball left to be played. It's, exactly. It's, exactly. Even this good was not something I expected at all, considering my prediction for wins was 70 wins, and it feels to me like the floor of worst case and maybe the average case has kind of been raised a bit but i don't at this point they would have to either go into some sort of extended slump or just play very poorly going forward in order to not win 70 games or even 71 games and i think I just off, after the last few years, it's like I feel like oh, around every corner is an eight-game losing streak. Like just <laughs> just any time, I just feel like oh, that could be the first game loss on like a seven-game losing streak, and just you know, because that's what we've seen from the Orioles. Like especially since we keep harkening back with all the you know the beat writers writing, well, this is the first time the Orioles have been so and so games over 500 since. You know, the 2005 season where in the last month they had separate losing streaks of eight and ten games, which is, I mean, that's crazy. There's not a lot I dislike more than constantly being reminded that, oh, hey, this year's a lot like 2005, which was, in my opinion, completely forgettable when it all comes down to it. Well, it's it was just another because it's awful at the end. It was just another crummy year yeah. in a spree of crummy years with crummy pitching and crummy hitting, and there's nothing memorable about it. But it was opening. It's, it had that opening flash that was good. Yeah. Till the All Star break or whatever it was. The only thing that matters is what the standings are on October the first. Yeah. Well, well, maybe not October, on May the whatever day the season ends yeah. on particular year. But you're right. So. Andrew, just with that in mind, do you want to revise your 
win prediction? Have you have you sussed that out? So before the season began, I was at I think seventy two wins, seventy one wins, somewhere in there. And I don't think there's anybody who who tries to take projecting win totals seriously who says it's exactly seventy two wins. You know, there's a there's a large margin for error at this point. Just because, if nothing else, the the huge buffer they've built for themselves by by winning 27 games out of their first 42. Um, like I said, they'd have to slump badly in order to hit in the low 70s area. Right. And even if they, from now on, play like the team, I originally believed them to be, and to some extent still believe them to be, they would still look to be winning about 79 wins at this point, 79 to 80 wins. That's where I am. That's really exciting, actually. That's what, see when we when I was imagining how the Orioles would ascend out of the depths of being awful, I just kind of imagined a you know a, a waypoint where they were sort of near 500, and then maybe where they were like 85 wins, and then it was like okay, it's time to kick it into the next gear, and then they you know that's when they would open up the purse strings. And by the way, the Orioles have not even won 79 games since 1998, the first year of well, the, uh, the the consecutive losing season streak. But when's the last time they won 70 games? The last it's time they even years. won 70 was 2006, where they won exactly 70. Ooh, so, I mean, this is, in a lot of ways, a huge step forward. And really what I've been sitting here picking my brain trying to figure out is why is this a huge step forward all of a sudden where last year they underachieved maybe like why are they so much better this year what's the difference there yeah i just i don't know what to say because i well i don't know how much of it is to do with the orioles as watching the games this year it just feels like the teams that previously seemed like the unstoppable juggernauts, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox and the like, they suddenly look mortal. And maybe that's got as much to do with it as anything, because, like, I watch the games and I think, well, the Orioles, you know, obviously are a flawed team, although they've opened up a great record. But all these other teams are flawed, too. And so, you know, maybe that's got something to do with it. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable to see so far. Well, I do think that there are certain players who have certainly improved over their previous uh, abilities or or what we would perceive as their abilities. Jake Arrieta looks much better, even if his ERA isn't necessarily indicative of it just yet. Um, much healthier. Hopefully he can remain healthy. Uh, Wei Yan Chen, who is new to the team this year, of course, that's right there. Those two guys sort of form. It's silly to call it a cornerstone of your pitching staff when they're really more like a middle of the rotation type of cornerstone. Well, compared to what we've seen in recent years uh, of, of Orioles baseball, it's you know that's like coming up five. Well, not five aces, but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's coming up well. Although, well, it's a lot easier to build your pitching staff when you know you have those two guys for the next three years. And Jason and they're Hamill not, they're for not the next be two years, aces. speaking of guys who've had surprising 
openings yeah, to their I, stuff. I don't know what to what to make of Jason Hamill exactly. Yeah, and, and if you want to talk about the voice of Doom, you can look at this weekend's national series with the outings of both Hamill and Chen where you know, suddenly their ERAs are creeping, creeping up, creeping up. Well, and it's like, okay. Well, I mean, come on. They're not going to stay at 2.5 ERA type guys. So after today's action, Chen had a uh, 3.35. And after yesterday, Jason Hamill had a 3.12. And maybe those guys can stay around that level. And that's still, again, on on this very podcast... I wanted to say that the Orioles would have a sub four pitcher, but I got bullied into it by you and Stacy. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I, I got peer pressured out of it. But none of the three of us could would say, "Well, the Orioles will have one starter with a sub four ERA." We wouldn't uh, do it. And now, uh, it's now it feels possible that we could end up with three once Arietta really settles in, and assuming Chen and Ham will just kind of sort of maintain where they are. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And then, it's hard to say. It's very hard to say. When the season started, we could say a lot of relatively definitive things about the offense and the defense, but the pitching staff, mystery. It's just a big mystery, and to a large extent, it's still kind of a big mystery. Right. Most of the possibilities seemed bad just because that's all we've seen in recent years for the Orioles, <laughs> so that's mostly what you imagine, and then... You know, you talked about the rotation with a great start to the season from Hamill and Chen. And then, of course, there's the bullpen, which, I mean, I don't even know if those guys saw this coming. It's still the best in the league, I believe, unless today's uh, action changed that. Fangraphs hasn't updated after today's action. But they had, going into today, they had, what was it, like a 208, something ridiculously low. ERA. Let's see. Yeah, 2.08 ERA going into today. Although Evelyn gave up some runs, so that's uh, that'll change it a little bit, but probably not a lot. Well, I think maybe a more telling stat that I factored out this week was in games that the bullpen has been given the lead, and obviously they cannot control whether they've been given a lead or not. But when they have been given a lead, they have blown that lead only three times. One of those times, the Orioles still went on to win. Uh, one of the, the other two times, it was both Luis Ayala blowing the lead. And in the first time, it was a legitimate. He just wasn't pitching well that day. The Orioles went to extra innings with the Yankees. So it was still a close game despite that. And the other game... Luis Ayala was given the bases loaded with no outs and a two-run lead, and then gave up the runs on an error. So, so it's really hard for me to to blame him for that particular blown lead. So, in my book, for what it's worth, the bullpen has blown one lead that the Orioles have gone on to lose that game throughout the entire season so far. And that's, and that is, that's, that's 42 games the job in. Done. So, yeah, that's definitely getting the job done, which is pretty, really pretty remarkable. And, in fact, the Orioles, it looks like, have the most wins. Well, not that we care about pitcher wins, but it's interesting that the offense is coming back late in games where the bullpen is holding the fort down, basically, because 11 wins have been credited to Orioles relievers, which is the most out of any baseball team at the moment. So... There, that's another one of those. I, well, maybe you could say it's a fluky thing. Maybe, you know, 
what was it like the the third week of the season? Adam Jones was talking about, oh, it's a different breed of Orioles team, and I was extremely skeptical of that claim because I feel like, well, we always hear that, but I I really don't even have a count of how many games I've seen this year where the Orioles ended up winning, and I was sitting there watching the game thinking they're going to lose. This is the kind of game they always lose, and we saw a number of those just over the you know the run of the gauntlet which perhaps it doesn't get any more astounding than the 17 inning game in Boston I was just thinking about because that because that game you know I mean I know maybe I mean I don't know no but I feel as if I know there's 0% chance like last year's Orioles could have won that game they just they would have found a way to lose and instead they found a way to win and it's like it's frying my brain circuits or something. I just can't compute it, you know? It's not it's not adding up to what I was expecting at all. There have been many, many games like that. I, I can't even count. You know what was cool about that, that game? And this isn't saying anything that we don't already know. The 17-inning game was uh, re-watching Chris Davis's throwing ability out there and, and striking out Saldo Lamacchia and Adrian Gonzalez. And he was like throwing like legit like that's a nasty pitch. That was a lot of fun. Just diving down and away, and the Red Sox guys are flailing helplessly over it, like they have no idea what just happened. <laughs> Birdland is what happened, apparently. Yeah, it, that was. I have a hard time remembering any game quite like that over the past, I don't know, ten years or so. That. The bullpen was totally shut down, and then there was like this weird baseball thing that happened. And really, as I was watching it, at no point did I really feel like, oh yeah, here it comes. Here, here comes the loss. Like the bullpen was totally like lights out through the whole thing. Maybe I'm misremembering it a little bit. Well, see, I Andrew, I was thinking that like every inning from I don't even know, probably the eighth inning on. No, the ninth inning on, because that was when it was tied. And it was just like, I was just waiting for the hammer to fall. And the, I guess the big play would have been when Marlon Bird got thrown out trying to score. And I mean, that was the, the play where it was just like, hit me in the face. Like, wow, that doesn't happen last year. There's just no way it would have. It couldn't happen. Because everything was in place right there. The first inning of Chris Davis relief pitching. Of course he's going to lose. It's it's a Chris, it's a it's a position player pitching. Of course that's when they're going to lose. But they didn't. And it's something else. So perhaps no. perhaps Adam Jones is front and center of all of this. He's the most vocal of all the players certainly and kind of ascending into a, a leadership role. So he's another topic we wanted to hit on tonight because Certainly part of the Orioles' success has been thanks to Adam Jones. So I guess, Absolutely. So I guess our number one question with Jones that we don't really know the answer to ourselves, but we would like to kind of figure out, is, is the Adam Jones we've seen in the first 42 games, is this the new, real Adam Jones? Well, what do you think? Well... When we had John Bernhardt on this podcast, and he yeah. was talking about, well, if Adam Jones gets an OPS of 900, then you got to extend him. 
And I was very dismissive of that notion because, again, Adam Jones has never even had an OPS of 800. So now he's sitting after today's game with a 353 on base percentage and a 610 slugging percentage, which is pretty crazy. And it's not looking like it's due for a ton of regression as far as if you look at batting average on balls in play because he's actually below his career number. So it's like, I don't know what to think because this, this was so unexpected to me. I was probably, like, I, I think even when I was at FanFest in January and there was a little fan blogger panel and I was like, well, and somebody asked the bloggers, like, what would you do if you were the GM? And I was like, well, the Orioles are bad, so we probably got to trade Adam Jones to get what we can. And now I kind of look like an idiot for saying that. But <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know where he will equal, where he will normalize with his numbers. You know, it's like I have no idea. And then people like there was a Fangraphs article in the last few days where they were talking about, you know, Adam Jones has arrived, and well, what's it going to cost to if the Orioles want to extend Adam Jones, or what kind of player is Adam Jones? And the writer that wrote the article was like. Oh, it was Dave Cameron, in fact. And he was like, well, what if he's 80% of Matt Kemp? And so you're talking right there, like, $120 million contract, if that's going to be an extension? And that's just nuts. I can't I can't think, like, that's a good idea yet. But I would, I would like it to be a good idea, but I just don't know how it could be. Well, I think it comes down to, and there's a couple things you can say. One is... Uh, when you're looking at is Adam Jones a regression candidate, you can't just look at, at batting average on balls in play. While that is one of the things that fluctuates the most uh, by things that are out of the batter's control. I mean, what Adam Jones has done is he's on this ridiculously good hot streak, and it's, it's extended. Um, but he hasn't really slumped yet. Has he? I I certainly have not seen him sort of take a step back. Yeah, one of the things that yeah. the broadcasters have been talking about the last couple of days is how Adam Jones has had three separate 10 or more game hitting streaks just in the first 42 games. And I think right now he's on 11 or 12 games right at this moment. Yeah, the guy's on fire. And he's got all of the ability in the world to be this kind of red hot really whenever he can but i mean baseball is a long long season and you're going to slump at some point it's pretty rare to find a player who just doesn't slump at some point right like even matt weeders who we were talking about being great in the last podcast a couple weeks ago i think he's been like yeah he's four, been four for 40 now. uh is what they've been talking about so yeah that's That'll drop your season uh, stat line a good bit. And and on the other side of the spectrum, right as Matt Wieters cooled down, J.J. Hardy got red hot himself. He's hitting in the month of May. He's the top hitting shortstop in baseball. And combine that with his great defense, he's probably the best shortstop in baseball in May. Uh, take that, Derek Jeter. Yeah, take that. Uh, it's just nobody stays that hot for that long. Even Josh Hamilton, who's out of his mind was hitting 400 a week ago he's down to like in the 380s now yeah josh hamilton still got 18 home runs but he's only only batting 384 <laughs> yeah, right. today 
I mean, it, it happens. Nobody can really maintain that forever. So is this the new Adam Jones? It looks like this is certainly an improved Adam Jones, but I I want to see how how it goes the rest of the season. This is why you don't make decisions based on 180 plate appearances. And I think the last couple of times that Orioles had in the middle of the season contract extensions was probably what a few years ago was Melvin Mora, and then I think maybe Brian Roberts was also uh, middle of the yeah, season announced. Yeah, I keep thinking back on on Twitter, like I get I guess a lot of messages about or or I see a lot of tweets on my timeline about like Adam Jones just hit another home run. We need to pay this man. Um, actually, I guess the the last in season extension talks were last year with JJ Hardy. Oh, that's true. Very good point. Um, and I, I keep thinking back to, because obviously Hardy, we had the extend this man uh, mem going on Camden chat. Yep. And then I remember with Mora, there was a huge amount of uh, editorializing by guys like Rock. I distinctly remember from Rakubanko's blog, because I was reading, I was just like another anonymous reader of his Baltimore Sun blog at that time. Yeah. He Even yeah. he would like end entries by just like saying, pay the man or something like that. Right. Because that, you know, what was that? That was right around when, uh, after Elrod Hendricks had passed away in the off season mm-hmm. and Melvin mm-hmm. Mora was the only Oriole who went to the funeral so the, you know all that stuff was getting dragged up like every time he got a base hit or something, and he did in fact have, a, if I recall right, several game-winning hits over the time between uh, what, the beginning of the season and whenever they gave him an extension. But I mean, don't don't get me wrong, Melvin Moore was a great player, one of my favorites at that moment in time. But like they went out of their way to pay him what he was worth. And that was just wasted money because the team was never even remotely good while he was around. Yeah, and then the last year of it, he just, you know. Right. You know, guys fade because you shouldn't make decisions based on the first two or three months of a season. Right. You you need to look at the much larger sample. You you know, we were were saying earlier, you can't just say it's not early because it's early. It is a small sample size. So one thing we can say that's different for Adam Jones versus, say, Melvin Mora or even Brian Roberts is he's on the right side of the number 30 age. So Well, that's pretty big right So there. it's not like he's suddenly hitting, you know, he's like he's 30 and this is going to be his one career year. You know, he's, uh, he he's turned, just stepping into the prime of his life. He will turn 27 on August the 1st. So conceivably, I think... You know, maybe we could be seeing the beginning of Adam Jones firing off like three or four straight years of like 35 to 40 home runs. I don't think that's crazy to think at this point. And that would be a pretty special player. I mean, that's a MVP type player. Yeah. So I guess the question will be, what's the rest of the team going to do to make it? Is it worth having an Adam Jones right. at that, you know, at these hypothetical price tags? To me, that's that's really the only question because we already know Adam Jones is a great player, and what he's done so far this year is say no, he's the best player. Uh, but but either way, we know he's a great player, and it's just a matter of what 
would his hypothetical price tag do to keep the Orioles from being able to surround him with really good talent? Because a really good player on a 70-win team is not worth anything, and a really good player on a 70-win team that's costing you $150 million is an albatross to you because you can't do anything while that guy's around no matter how good he is. That's that's why like the Rangers traded Alex Rodriguez to the Yankees because no matter how good he was, you can't build around a contract like that if it doesn't fit in your budget. Yes, and the Orioles being kind of a mid-market to begin with and really who knows what their money situation is cuz all the mass and stuff is a mystery and Right. I mean, I mean that, who knows that's, what that's whether really the crowd's going to come out to Camden Yards now that the team's kind of good. It's it's like I don't know. Nobody, none of us can know. Well, I I was there on Mother's Day on Sunday, and boy, it looked awfully nice and full. That, that's all I can say. I don't know if the the crowds are going to show up now that it's it's summertime, school's out, the team's playing really well. But at least on that Sunday. The crowds definitely showed up. It was nice. Yeah. It, it didn't feel like rooting for the Orioles for a change. Yeah, it's really it's interesting. I've been to three games already, including one where I was in the press box, which is really difficult, by the way, because they won, and I just kept wanting to cheer, and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, ah, I wanted to say something, and I couldn't. And so I had to settle for, like, rhythmically tapping my pen along with all the little clap things. I hope that wasn't a faux pas. If it was, then Camden Chat will get like forever banned from the oh, box and it'll be all my fault. Oh, Mark. Yeah. What are you doing to us? I know. I'm giving everybody a bad name. I sat in the press box for one game last year. I, or, or it was two years ago, actually. I, I was uncomfortable the whole time because of that exact thing. I mean, I didn't really feel like uncomfortable like man i don't belong there it was just it obviously there was something about me that was different from all those other guys <laughs> that are there and you know they get they're on their jobs with benefits and insurance and all that stuff yeah you know i just drop in and plug on a laptop and fire up a blog and uh i don't get to interview the players or any of that kind of stuff either not yet right yeah not yet we do we do kind of hope that will happen eventually and uh I don't know why it hasn't yet, but that's another topic for another day. I don't want to don't want to get on a soapbox about that in the middle of this podcast. It's just uh, I I don't know what the reason is. I would like to know, and the Orioles have not been very forthcoming about whatever the reason is. Not well, beggars can't be choosers, yeah, Mark. It's true. They can. And we maybe we're not bakers because. Uh, I don't know. I like to think we're pretty good at, at this blogging business. I like to think so, too, Andrew. I really do. And good things come to those who work hard. So, So okay. Final thought on Adam Jones before we move along a bit. What do you feel personally is going to be the maximum years and dollars that you would be comfortable with Adam Jones receiving? Well, I have no idea <laughs> is, is where I am because I don't know what the Orioles' budget is. And... Because I don't know, I don't feel at all comfortable guessing at it, at what it would be a comfortable level. I do, however, feel comfortable saying that the Orioles are going to make a really hard attempt to keep him and lock him up for five years, probably. And that would be cool, as long as they do it knowing, like, okay, well, 
we're looking like an 80-win team this year. Now we have Adam Jones, and now we can attack the free agent market and bring in some other really top-tier talent and turn this into a 95-win team that can go to the playoffs and win the World Series. Oof, because I just as, got a little shudder nice, when you said that, sorry. <laughs> as nice as it is to say, like, I honestly think the Orioles are going to win more games than they lose this year. That's not the goal. That I don't care about that when it gets down to it. Right. It's irrelevant in the will the Orioles ever win the World Series again scheme of things. I guess I'm starting to feel like if it's the all-star break and the Orioles are still having some measure of success, I I just I don't expect they'll still be, you know, first place in the AL East or even 10 or more games over 500. But if they're, you know, maybe six games over 500 at the All-Star break, and it's it's clear they're not falling apart in June, not falling apart in early July, you know, then it's like suddenly the, the, the time frame for contention just looks different because mm-hmm. what's, what's here already is better than what I thought. Uh, how much better, I don't know yet, but... So far, it seems to be better than what I thought. That's here. So well, then it's there's like, a lot of there's a lot of baseball to play though. There is, and and like I said earlier, I still feel like around every corner, I'm just waiting to be scared <laughs> by the bogeyman of a you know an eight game losing streak, and then and then like you know maybe the Orioles win one game and then lose six more, and if that happened, whoop, sorry, we're not above 500 anymore. Well, you, I just can't I, shake that stuff. When you see like the string of personnel changes like uh we brought up dana evelyn okay we brought back tommy hunter we brought up Stu pomerantz who looked good but who the heck knows anything about Stu pomerantz brought up bill hall brought up xavier avery who also has looked good but who the heck knows anything about him and it's like gosh like this is a lot of dizzying yeah just all the yeah that's exactly right um it's sort of hard to imagine, like, this is still the team with the best record in baseball, despite, like, there's a lot of dizzying bench and back-of-the-rotation type things happening. And a lot of Nick Johnson happening. Yeah. Grounding into the double play to end the game this afternoon. I mean, there's, it's like, who are these guys? I mean, I know, <laughs> but I don't. I don't well, know. the not knowing is what makes it fun, for me, at least. It's a lot better than saying, now they are who we thought they were. Yes. So people have asked me if I still think it's a 70-win team, and I don't think that. I don't know, I don't have any, you know, method for trying to pin a a new number on it. I feel like it's a nice possibility that I'm willing to dream it will go of 82 or higher, but I don't know. You want to hem and haul all day, and you're just scared to make a, a... prediction that you'll later look foolish for making although i don't know why because i make myself look foolish with regularity so i should that's what you do i shouldn't worry about it it. that is part of uh being a sports commentator at any rate you're going to be wrong so i don't know i don't know that i'm willing to say for sure 500 or better but i think it's gone up to i don't know 80 i'll say 80 that's my official move up projection to 80. And now, How exciting. Now and, and now when they lose You're me when they lose the next 7 games, it's all my <laughs> fault. You can all blame me. Uh, well, who's up next on the docket here? Tomorrow will be a rematch of the, of the starters of that set. Well, today as everybody will be listening to this, a rematch of the starters from that 17 inning game 
uh, Clay Buckholz and Tommy Hunter. Mm. Well, you know, the Red Sox, as uh, much fun as it was to point and laugh at them, and they are still, what, seven and a half games down? Uh, I think it's six and a half because the six Orioles six. lost today and they won. and so they, got, they got a game back. Okay. Uh, they are one game below 500 yeah. now. They're so, they're making their ascent like the horror movie villain that yep. just uh just wouldn't die you know they got like burned in the face with the hot steam from the the radiator or whatever and uh, you know some things exploded on them and maybe you ran over them with your car but they're still there with the knife. No, you just got to turn the car on, but the ignition... Right, the, your spark catch. plug needed to be changed, and you're just going... You can see Clay Buckholtz coming up in the rearview mirror. You just got to you gotta go. Let's, let's go. He's yelling, no hitter, no hitter. <laughs> Clay Buckholtz, by the way, I think has the worst ERA of all qualifying uh, innings pitch starters. Oh, that's something. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't quite worked out the way... Everybody thought he would, but so it goes. It's about time it happens to somebody else. Right, right? somebody other than the Orioles has the absolutely uh, awful pitching prospect. Let's see, yeah, going into today, let's see, Buckholz had a 7.77 ERA, which is the worst among pitchers with qualifying ER, uh, innings pitched, rather. So, And he's starting to open up that Red Sox series. And then what do we got after the Red Sox? Red Sox, and then probably some other good teams, because they're all good teams. Oh, Red Sox, Royals, Blue Jays are the next three. So, I don't know. Blue Jays are playing good ball, too. Blue Jays are in third in the AL East. So we are slightly ahead of the Blue Jays. We've reached the promised land. For- yeah, yeah, this is it. This is what it looks like. Well, well you know, every game is... Uh- battle so there's there's really no point in the season i keep getting asked like at what point will you say oh this is this is good this is the orioles they can keep it up this is worth celebrating it's like well there's really no point where yeah, that when happens. season ends is when you you're at yeah that right point. Because, now, if, or if they clinch, there's always if they clinch some kind of thing then you know okay yes that well let's not talk about no that. that's getting a little too crazy um I just feel like I keep kicking down the road the point where I'm going to make my judgment on them. And I don't I don't really know how to assess. Well, we don't know yet. Excited I mean, and just not be afraid of the bad times anymore. It, it can still turn south quickly. Yeah, but hopefully it won't. And oh. there's been there's been encouraging signs, which is more than I really expected to see. That's that's the best that I can say because not nothing that's happened I predicted at all really except no, except, I don't think except for tommy hunter being tommy hunter <laughs> yeah, Tom, I, maybe, tommy hunter's been, been bad it's maybe the one thing i actually expected yeah it's funny uh we were talking about the bench and how we thought the bench was like kind of a cool little upgrade that dan duquette did and the bench has been kind of Forgettable and the bench is the reason for all those dizzying roster moves because it's been yeah, so right. bad and and it's so bad. For instance, at corner infield defense, that they signed Miguel Tejada to a minor league contract and he played in Norfolk today. Although I think he was the DH in the game today. Uh, but why? I mean, what are they doing there? You know, I certainly hope we're not going to see him and 
major league club. That would be awful. It would that, be that, that might be really weird to have somebody who could play competent third base, which I don't think Miguel Tejada can do. No. no. All he has is he was once good on defense. So he kind of has those old instincts, which is more than we can say about, for instance, Mark Reynolds or Wilson Bettemeet, who were never, ever good defenders. But I mean, can you imagine if they called up Miguel Tejada? So their bench was like Wilson Bettemeet, Miguel Tejada, Nick Johnson, and then Ryan Flaherty, I guess. So you have three guys who are corner infielders, and all three of them are actually DHs, and and all three of them. Have have question marks about their bat and then there's ryan flaherty who well, well he doesn't have he, any question marks about his bat his... but that's because he doesn't have one <laughs> there's no uh, question about that one but he, de- he does look like a nice defender out there yeah uh, th- those guys are useful even if they can't hit their weight but then you'd have like a bunch of guys who you really don't want to play anywhere on defense finding that that third baseman starter i think is going to be sort of the story of the Orioles for the next year or two. Um, just because, well, and it's kind of in hypothetical future, well. like Manny Machado makes it to the big leagues and moves J.J. Hardy to third base. Or if Machado becomes third baseman or uh, Jonathan Scope. But then, you know, like they tried it with, with Mark Reynolds and that obviously did not work. And then they tried it with Chris Davis and that was even worse somehow. And then... You know, there's there's a couple of like free agent type options that they might try and I, go for. I imagine the talk radio circuit will be talking about the Orioles need to sign David Wright. Yeah, yeah. I I keep envisioning a nightmare scenario where uh, the Orioles trade Manny Machado for David Wright. Oh, no, don't do that to yeah. me. My heart cannot take it. Like I'm just I'm already like screaming in my head, and then I have to like wake up and be like, there's. There's no way that's going to happen. Karen, you want to talk about nightmare scenarios. Forget Clay Buckholtz in the rearview mirror. There's your nightmare. <laughs> then, then imagine the Dan Duquette press conference. Yeah. Well, we knew we needed to get a qualified, dependable Major League third baseman and David Wright, blah, 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 blah. And by the way, it is we've signed him to a contract extension. David uh, Wright's tremendous. I would be thrilled to have him. Uh, but the, the finances of it, that would just... It would destroy my brain. Yeah, I would not be happy. I think my brain might have already been destroyed, so that would take it to some level beyond destroyed. Um, but yeah, you know, um, third base—it's this weird revolving door where they keep sticking guys over there that just—they aren't—they aren't going to do it. They—they have—they don't have the answer on their roster right now, and prospects are just prospects. We've certainly seen seen those guys fail out as much as as anything else so we'll see and the other corner first base you know that's kind of been but its first own story. first base is really the same as third base except a little bit chris davis at first base isn't quite as bad as say mark reynolds at first base or he well, doesn't look as bad just you know on the untrained eye test even you go back a couple of years i don't know about you and i don't really want to talk about this or open up old wounds we're not, we're not here like, to talk about the past but sometimes we have to I feel like the Orioles plan at first base long term was uh to sign a certain free agent slugging first baseman and that did not work out he went to a, a different team um and then 
they didn't really have a plan after that. They tried guys like Garrett Atkins well, the out. the Royals couldn't have had a plan because it was Andy McPhail's plan, and then it took him like a month to hire Dan Duquette, and then by the time he came in and really got going, you know, the free agent frenzy was mostly over, except for the big names who were obviously never going to come to Baltimore to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know first base, that's... First base, I, it was like they were like, well, we got Chris Davis. Good luck. And you can live when you're a team like the Orioles and let's try Chris Davis out. And, uh, you know, we talk about like his defense and he made like a really embarrassing play the other night that cost the Orioles a couple runs. But like defensive first baseman, is that like, I don't know, if you're getting a first baseman, you're like, well, his defense is really good. I feel like you're sort of missing the point there. Yeah, I mean, as far as first baseman defense being good, what do you need? You kind of need him to be able to pick a ball out of the dirt, and that's about it. Which Chris Davis is not very good at, by the way. But, uh, you know. Well, you know, we keep track of that at uh, Baseball Info Solutions, which is uh, my employer. Um, Scoops. We call them first baseman scoops. And a lot of people always want to talk about... Am I going to have to get taken out with a sniper rifle if you shared this tidbit, Andrew? No. No. You're not going to have to delete my computer's uh, content? Okay. I'm here to share and to, I guess, teach. Although, that that sounds stupid. Okay. (laughs) First baseman scoops. Uh, a lot of people always talk about, oh, he makes so so many great scoops. Mark Deshera, you can just imagine what's his face, uh, Michael K. Oh, what a great scoop there by Teixeira. I don't know if that's really what he sounds like, but I don't like Michael K. Those are tremendous plays, but they're really not that special. All first basemen make a lot of scoops. I think uh, last year, the year before, the first baseman with the most scoops was Aubrey Huff, and he was being by like five scoops or something like that. I mean, I don't know how valuable that is exactly, but it's not all that that it's built up to be. There's not a scoops above replacement devised yet, huh? <laughs> well, they're just, they're, they aren't worth that much in terms of runs or wins or anything like that. Yeah. Either the ball gets through or it doesn't, and you can't really judge which play yeah. was which or whatever. So you end up really needing offense from your first baseman. And that's been the story that the Orioles haven't found that offensive first baseman just yet. Although Chris Davis... He was hot to start the season, and he's cooled off. Come back down to earth a little bit, but even if he stabilizes at the level he is right after today, that wouldn't be terrible. I mean, yeah, you never know. That's what he, well, he had a two for four today, so let's see. Is after today, he was batting two ninety three with a three thirty one on base, slugging four fifty nine. You know, I take that from Chris Davis. Uh, it's not a total black hole. It's not great. He still strikes out a lot. But he's cheap. He's you take cheap. that out of a cheap first yeah, baseman. Absolutely. Not too bad. Absolutely. So the Orioles, much better than we would have guessed so far. It's pretty exciting stuff. How much more exciting what we'll get, I just I can't guess and you can't guess and Stay tuned. Yeah, yeah, stay tuned. I don't know when we'll be back, but we will be back. You can always follow our banter on the Twitter. I am at EatmoreSK, E-S-S-K-A-Y, like the hot dogs. And Andrew is at Gibson Andrew. Andrew, do we have any final thoughts now that we've plugged our Twitters? I, I spent the week uh, watching a lot of minor league baseball in person. 
the Indianapolis Indians are the AAA team for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are the AAA team for the Philadelphia Phillies. And they were playing each other. I live in the Lehigh Valley. So I, I went out to a couple of those you games. You can't miss those top quality matchups yeah. like that. Uh, I was struck that the Indians have several ex-Orioles on their roster. Jake Fox was batting cleanup on Tuesday. And Rick Vandenherk, Jojo Reyes, and Daniel Cabrera are all on the pitching staff out there. And uh, I did not get to see Daniel Cabrera, and I was told that he threw really, really well. And yeah, I'm sure he I'm, had a great I, bullpen session. <laughs> we would always hear that. Yeah, right. I just I remember Buck Martinez would talk about he had like a such a great bullpen session. It was only three pitches, and they would just say, "Well, that was so great because he only had to throw three pitches in the bullpen session." It's like okay, and then he would walk like seven guys the next time he pitched because he was Daniel Cabrera. Uh, on Tuesday, the leadoff hitter for the Iron Pigs is a guy named Rich Thompson. He had a really good game. He was traded the next day to Tampa Bay uh, for our old friend Kyle Hudson, who is the new leadoff hitter for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. We'll always have an immortal place in Orioles history because of his role in Game 162 of last year. There was There were a ton of really good stories written about that game. One of my favorites ended with Kyle Hudson and uh, Matt Angle. They were driving west on driving I-70, away, yeah. and that was that. And and you know they had to have both been thinking, that's as good as their major league career is going to get. And that's really cool. That was a great story. So I could never root against any of these guys, even Daniel Cabrera, uh, because it's AAA baseball and who cares. Right. Um, but I was struck that, you know, it's kind of nice that the Orioles aren't, necessarily reliant on a ton of triple a level guys who are going to struggle at at the triple a level yeah so that was it was a cool little moment uh lehigh valley swept in the right so if that if that means anything uh not really but (laughs) well but there you go there we go I can't wait for the tides to come around. I guess my final thought uh, is I've kind of gotten my eye on Nick Markakis because I've been killing him on like Twitter and on Camden Chat most of the year. And he's actually not doing bad. In fact, he's doing fairly decently, mostly because he's got his walk rate up and he's got his power up in a way that actually, if we want to count his ISO, his isolated power, it's the highest of his career. So maybe that'll settle down a little bit, but um, he's uh, he's got something power. coming back. I don't know what Isolated. it is. Just uh, FYI for the listeners, isolated power is your slugging percentage, which is uh, total bases over play, uh, at-bats. rather. It, it's your slugging percentage minus your batting average is what isolated power is. Just, just so you everybody's aware so i don't really know what is like the league average for that but i can tell you the best nick Markake has had in his career was in 2007 and 8 both he had 185 isolated power and this year so far he's got 215 which is a nice boost and he's hitting he's hitting this home runs that i don't expect him to hit because on camden chat we're kind of calling him noodles now and every time he does something good it's a surprise <laughs> but Maybe, maybe it, it won't be surprising. Yeah. So he kind of hopefully will bring up his batting average a little bit. And if that comes up like 20 points and raises his on base and slugging 20 points, you know, I'll I'll have to find something else to complain about because it won't be Nick Markakis anymore. 
Well, there's always uh, Bill Hall. There is always Bill Hall or whoever else. We'll find something. But hopefully we don't yeah. need to do much complaining about the Orioles because they keep being, if not uh, if not as hot as, say, a 643 winning percentage, you know. Maybe 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 a you know a five fifty or five thirty winning percentage. Then we won't have to complain. Even that, there's not a lot to complain no, about. Exactly. Considering the crap we've seen in the in recent times, that wouldn't be much to complain about either. So that's all we've got for tonight. Not sure when we'll be back next, but hopefully sooner than this time. Maybe ten days or something. But we'll see you then. And in the meantime, I am Mark Brown. With Andrew Gibson, we're bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.